All right, we're all ready? Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh, I am so ready. So ready. Great. So ready. <laughs> ready graphics? Ready theme? like who this guy is I never I never had an issue not knowing who this guy was Mm -hmm. never he was so specifically drawn and you know I think you have to like somebody to play them yes yeah you know and I I liked him Mm -hmm. you know like I should say like him Mm -hmm. you know what I mean like I love him hi this is Jesse Mullins and this is Lauren Milberger. And we have a new interview episode for you. We do. A very exciting one. We have Grant Shod, a.k.a. Miles Silverberg. You may know him as the young up-and-coming producer of FYI, now the more established producer of Murphy in the Morning. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, we have been looking forward to this interview for a very long time. You know how much we love our Miles. I mean, spoiler, Grant does nothing but be everything you want him to be. Yeah, He's delightful. I think we had a really great conversation about mm-hmm. acting, about Miles, about the process. Mm-hmm. We'll finally get to hear that story that we've told, that Barnett has told about his audition experience. Yeah, and hear about it from his side of the yes. of the tape. <laughs> so without further ado, please sit back and enjoy our conversation with Miles Silverberg himself, Grant Shod. Will the mystery guest please sign in? Kate McKinnon. Wow, yes. it's such a get. I can't believe we got Kate. I have been waiting to speak to you, Kate. You sound so different. I've um, been wanting to come on your podcast for ever since I heard about it. Oh, thank you. Yeah. It means a lot to us. Yeah. We like I'm, fans been, and I'm fans. usually busy on Saturday nights, and it's quite late with the after huh. party and everything like that. Oh, fair. Yeah. Yeah. Thank, fair. Yeah. Thanks for coming in. But I wasn't too long over <laughs> today, so. We oh, really appreciate well. it. Yeah. My pleasure. Yeah. yeah. Welcome. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of skits last night. You might have seen. I did. I did. Your work with Leah Schreiber was was iconic. Uh, yes. And Robert De Niro. Mm-hmm. I agree. Oh, yes. Yeah. I blew them away, I think. <laughs> Both of them. Literally? <laughs> <laughs> Good girl, Lauren. Good girl. <laughs> yes. Thank you. All right. Right out, of, <laughs> right out of the shoot. I literally can't walk past a joke sometimes. It's like rubbernecking. Mm-hmm. No. Just like, oh, oh, I'm sorry. That was, I shouldn't mm-hmm. have said that. I just can't. But that's, that's, <laughs> good. that's, you know, comics will tell you that. They can't edit themselves. Yeah. They can't. You shouldn't. You're never going to be brilliant. It's someone else's job to edit. Yeah. So if those of you do not recognize the voice of our guest, this is Grant Shod, right? That's you? Hi, gang. Yes, Hi, it's me. it's you. It's me. <laughs> glad to finally be here. We're so glad to oh, have we're so you here. Thank you. I'm thrilled. Aww. <laughs> yeah. You can't be as thrilled as we are. Oh, oh I no. am. <laughs> this is every day for you guys. This is a special. Well, it's exciting for us because we've been watching, we've been watching, we feel like we grew up with Miles in many ways. I do too. And so it's... Yeah, well, I, well, you I really have. So. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I mean, um, yeah, I was twenty eight when I got Miles. Is it twenty seven or twenty? Yeah, I was twenty eight years old, and I'd been mm. up in New York about four and a half years. Oh wow! And um, so, and I, I looked much younger than I was, um, which was helping me get parts that were younger. Yeah, you know. Oh yes. So, um, uh, yeah, life changer, game changer. Definitely. Yeah. We definitely very specifically want to talk to you about your audition experience. But before we actually launch into that, we like to start with what we call the origin story and learn a little bit mm-hmm. about you before, before Murphy happened. Where, where'd you come from? I grew up outside Philadelphia. 
I was born in Evanston, Illinois, but my parents yeah. uh, moved back to Philadelphia, which where they were both from, in about nine mm-hmm. months after I was born. So I really grew up outside Philadelphia, mm-hmm. where my parents are from. And um, I had this secret desire. Like, where I grew up, you didn't go into the arts. Uh, you know, you you went, mm-hmm. you, you know, you worked for a financial firm is really what you were groomed yeah. for. And uh, that was, like, an honorable way to make a living. And um, so I had this, like, sort of secret, you know, passion for movies and actors and stuff like that. But I didn't really – I didn't let myself think that that was something that I could do. Mm -hmm. It seemed just too far out of reach. But it never left me alone. So I kept trying to go on with my life. I, you know, I went to college. I – I went into the business school because that's what my parents wanted. I failed out in a semester because I just hate, I just, it wasn't mm-hmm. my thing, you know? It wasn't what I wanted to do. And I, it took three and a half years of basically kind of failing at everything in college before I went, you know, am I going to live my whole life and not do what I want to do? First, I had to realize I wanted to do it. But yeah. I saw everybody else going off and getting on with their lives, and I real and I kind of realized one of the things that was holding me back was what everybody else would think if I wanted to be oh, an actor. Yeah. You know that oh, yeah. what are people going to think, or people are going to think I'm foolish, or there's there's that. And mm-hmm. um, but I, it, you know, it just never went away. So it was last semester senior year, and I went out for a play in college, and it was like five lines. It was Henry V. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of like a walk-on thing, but I just needed mm-hmm. to see if I could get on a stage in front of like my fraternity brothers in tights and say five lines of Shakespeare. And I figured it was just like a little test. I'm like, yeah. if I can do that. And also, there was that I had to walk through that fear of like, what are they going to think? And I was shocked because yep. you know, go to a fraternity party afterwards, and you know, they were coming to see the play as usually as part of a class or something like that, and they'd be like, I didn't know you were into that. You know what I mean? It, it, yeah. Like in in our minds, it's like this big thing i think that's always yeah. it particularly when you're younger you, you you everything becomes bigger and then it happens and you go oh people don't care as much as i do no yeah people do not everyone's worried about themselves in the same way and but we always think that the the because as humans we can only see it through our own filter but there is that and i mean i, I know lauren and i definitely understand from the standpoint of people being like oh are you still doing the acting thing? <laughs> right because it is right this world that people don't understand the idea of auditioning being a new interview for every single thing you're going to do that it, it's confusing and it's this weird otherness that the the secular world as i will call it doesn't fully grasp no nor would they want to like the idea no. of living like that of oh, having yeah. a new job mm-hmm. interview every day would be yep. t- would be very off-putting i think mm-hmm. to a yeah. lot of people and it's it's hard to even explain that yes even when because I think that's the best way to explain to someone who doesn't know about auditioning that it is a job interview. But I still do that, and it's people are like, "Oh, okay, I kind of understand," but they they really don't on a visceral level. Well, and the thing and I there's... try to explain. Oh no, go. Please. No, you go. I'm going to follow you. Oh. <laughs> what a gentleman! Uh, I was going to say that there's a when I go home and I speak to my family generally understands they were I was on stage at three months old, so my my whole family did community theater and they get it. But when I talk to my my sisters in laws and they're they ask, they're like, what's it like to audition? And you have to kind of say, you know, when you go into an interview, you have your your documents that prove your skills. You have a word per minute that you might have to demonstrate. For us, a, a resume doesn't show a performance, so we're showing our skills. We have to 
prove in the same way that you can articulate how to use an Excel document, I have to show that I can do the tap number that I claim I can. Right. <laughs> yeah, that actually reminds me, I was just talking to someone about this yesterday, because when I started out and I was doing a lot of student films to try to build my reel, I'd get a lot of, you've been cast. And, mm. and they didn't understand that they had to audition me because the thought was, well, I see your resume. You, you have yeah. credits on it. I'm going to hire you and I'm going to hire a sound guy. And great. Okay, we're good. Uh, I would usually say, well, let me meet you first at least if you don't, you know, be sure it's legitimate <laughs> yeah. and everything. Uh, but the first one I did after I forced him to meet me, I got on set and the other actor was not very good and I had to help her a bit and he ended up doing a lot more stuff on me and and it sort of started to dawn on me oh like they don't even understand because they've never met actors before they've just been in film class that it's not the same thing it's not just about your skills on your resume it's about what's in front of them it's really interesting too because I've met directors who take acting classes which I think is um, very wise on their part. Because like, how can you direct somebody to to do something if you don't understand what it is they're doing? Yeah, Columbia does that. Well, and on the same level, well, the idea that actors should also work in the other disciplines Mm. to understand the other people they're working with. Mm. Because the the ensemble of the production, it's very easy to kind of be the pretty horsey that's taken out of your stable to perform and then put back in with your sugar cube. (laughs) But on both sides of it, to really get to know the director, to understand how an actor works, to be able to communicate. And for the actors to understand how the rest of production works, so you understand that you are just part of a whole. Yeah, that was the big difference with me with grad school and undergrad. Because in undergrad, we hung the lights, and we did the set, and we did everything. Mm -hmm. And then, and I don't know about how DePaul, but my grad school... Mm -hmm. We didn't do any of that. Now, the directors took and the writers took acting classes, but that was about it. And then when we actually went into production, I saw some people be not really nice to the stage managers and, and any of the tech people. And and that's when that dawned on me. I was like, oh, they don't know what it's like. I mean, they should still be yep. empathetic, and these people are helping them out and making them look good. But beside mm-hmm. that point, they had not had the experience of, of, of hanging a Lico <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and knowing how hard that is. Right. And, you know, it's such it's so important. Right. I think. Uh, Grant, I wanted to ask you because I know that um, especially the Philly area right now is booming as far as theater and performance and art. Um, it's kind of the, the quiet city that a lot of people are leaving New York to go to Philly and work because the, the theater scene is incredibly popular and productive. Is that, was, is that a new experience? Um, was I, it like that when you were younger? No. No. I mean, Philly was a sports town when I yeah. was growing up. And I think that's been gradual over the last couple decades. First, Philly mm-hmm. has Philly's really kind of come up culturally, but I mm-hmm. think people who were doing in theater in Philly, mm-hmm. let's say twenty years ago, yeah. were very much sort of on their own. Huh. And mm. but now I think you're right. I think because of you know Philly basically being the sixth borough, and, it is. and uh, you know everybody coming down there, and it's a very livable city, and everybody coming mm-hmm. down there to do theater. Um, yeah, I'm. Sh- I actually did not know that. That's kind of really great to hear. Yeah, Yeah, it's really popular now. I know a lot of people who want to break into the Philly scene. Wow, interesting. Yeah, I've I've heard a couple Mm -hmm. of Mm -hmm. actors who live out there and they commute up for auditions. Right. I mean, it's also because it's just so expensive in the city now. Yeah, that's what I do. I mean, I I get get in my car, I drive two hours, I park, I audition, I get in my car, I drive back. Yeah, two hours Mm. is not that bad. No. It takes me an hour and a half to get to most places because I'm so far into Brooklyn. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's really not. It's just the driving yeah. can get a little weird. Yeah. But, you know. 
No, I had read, which I didn't know, and it may not be correct, on your CBS.com bio. Did, did you have a degree in journalism? Well, I did. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I did. I did graduate with a degree in journalism. I don't. I don't take that much credit for it because I mean, I showed up and I got the degree, but yeah. I mm-hmm. think um, I went into journalism after I I failed at business. I went into journalism because I thought I might want to be a sports writer. I was really trying to find out what I want, and that was kind of a passion of mine. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Um, but when I started to get kind of uh, you know adrift of the ins and outs of becoming a journalist and what you have to go through to become one, and you know. I didn't burn for it enough, and I kind of knew that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I wasn't going to switch majors again. Yeah. yeah. So I just, um, you know, I just saw the journalism degree out, and then went out for that play in the, like the last semester. Yeah, but do you feel that it was helpful working on Murphy Brown, or or no? Not at all. Not at all. <laughs> yeah. Just no. a fun little factoid now. Yeah. No. Yeah. There, there. I don't think there was anything about being a journalism major that influenced me at all on Murphy. So interesting. Yeah. Did you you didn't bring it up in your audition? No. <laughs> no. I don't think yeah. I don't think that's what they're looking at, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, we've heard the stories of your you getting the role. Yes. We we've told a version of it. Barnett has told mm-hmm. a version of it. It's one of I mean, ours I think definitely mine favorite audition mm-hmm. story. And a story that really could not happen today. No. Which is also, I think, what makes it interesting. But what is your perspective on your audition for Murphy Brown? I'm dying now to know what Barnett told me. <laughs> um, Everything. Be- because he told me sort of what was going on on his end. So yeah. that's kind of secondhand. But I'll tell you what I know, which is yeah. I thought pilot season was over. I was dying to just have anything take me to Los Angeles. Yeah. I was doing theater for you know like i said four and a half years which is not very long you know what i mean mm-hmm. yeah but, no. but but um you know it as as we know it's like the best training ground just bar yes. none and um but you know i was because i started it acting late i was kind of in a real hurry to i'm like oh if i'm not yeah. successful right away i'm never going to be successful and there was this whole sort of youth obsessed thing i had going like mm-hmm. you know if i don't hit you know when i'm young then i'm going to age out and then it'll never happen it was a lot of doomsday a lot of doomsday yeah. thinking because i because i came to it late so i was kind of like always in a panic which was kind of good because it drove the train but it was also like you know i'd have an audition and i'd like stomp around after it was over and they would be like laughing at me because I was just like throwing a fit you know yeah everything was so heightened but I thought it was another pilot season and then I had actually auditioned for something that I wanted very bad and I didn't get it and I'm like Mm -hmm. oh here it is another you know okay another year in New York waiting tables and hopefully getting some more plays and back to waiting tables and blah 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 and uh were you you were in Torch Song Trilogy I was. That was my first job. That was your first job? Yeah. The first job? It was ridiculous. Who did you replace? I, know. I, well, I was hired, I, the audition, I had literally gotten an agent three days before. Wow. I was like wow. walking into offices and getting doors slammed in my face. But this one guy had a conversation with me, this guy, Michael Kingman. And um, he's like, all right, well, and I did a monologue for him. I'm, I know I was awful. And, and he went, all right, well. He's like, we'll send you out, and you 
we'll see how we like you and you see how you like us. I was mm. like, great. He got me three yeah. auditions in three days. One was for like an after school special. One was for, I can't remember what else. But then the third was a national tour of Torch Song Trilogy. Oh, it was a national tour, excuse yeah. me. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, the audition was on the Broadway stage. Oh, nice. So I went there, cool. I auditioned, I thought I bombed. I stomped up the you know center aisle and they were laughing at me. And like the reader was like, it really wasn't that bad, you know. <laughs> and the, and and the people sitting in the in the seats were laughing at me, and they were like, Grant, how old are you? And I went, uh, eighteen, because like yeah. it was to understudy both a sixteen year or like a fourteen year old and an eighteen year old. Yeah. yeah. So I mm-hmm. like lied about my age, and they knew I was lying, and that made them laugh even more. <laughs> it was like humiliating. Oh. And I went down to the restaurant, and I got a call from my agent, and he said, I'm coming down. And he was like, not only did you get the part, he said, they're keeping you to understudy on Broadway. So That's I thought, amazing. oh, I've heard stories like that. So that you pra- sort of practice and then went on the tour later? Or no, no, I oh, never no, went did. on the tour. Oh, that's why I was confused. So you were, okay. Because I thought I misunderstood no. and just read it wrong. Which was such a great thing because I had just gotten there. I'd literally yeah. been there for four and a half yeah. months. <gasps> I had just gotten an agent. So to leave on a tour, I mean, I certainly would have gone. Yeah. But but it was nice to, I mean, you know, yeah. you're on Broadway and you're, you know, and you're still in New York and. It was it was like being shot out of a cannon. Yeah. I was like How long did you do the show? The time. Eight months. Have you seen the revival? I have not. Is it downtown? No, it's on Broadway now. Oh, it is? Yeah. yeah. It was oh, originally yeah. off-Broadway, I believe, and it's part of Second Stage, and they that- transferred it. Is Harvey in it? No. Oh, oh yeah, and then yeah. after the after that closed, I was in the last eight months of that, and then that closed, and then I got into Drew Horowitz play. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, great. <laughs> that was great. Um, I got a Stephen Metcalf play at the Vineyard Theater. So I just started getting mm-hmm. theater, and then I joined EST, and then... Yeah, we've mm-hmm. actually, we've talked about EST a lot. What, what was your experience at EST? EST was a game changer. That's what everybody says, for me. yeah. EST. And it's not the EST you know now, like, EST's really hot. Yeah. I think the young... Pl- yeah. I, I think the... Um, young Bloods. Young Blood That has came re- out of my grad school. Yeah, <clears throat> did it really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think Young Blood, the Young Blood program has made EST kind of like everybody wants in now. Yeah. But um, yeah, EST has had really hard times over the years. You know what I mean? But that was the place where suddenly, like, a day I was just doing stuff all the time. There readings, <laughs> you know, one acts. Um, it was just. It was it was like a gym. It was like mm-hmm. belonging to like a really, and you've got these playwrights, and you've got these other actors, and you've got these directors, and you know everybody's there to hone their thing. So everybody's getting something out of it. You yeah. know, it was yeah, it was really great. EST to this day. EST, who were you there with? Oh, oh man, who was I there with? Geneva Carr. Do you know Geneva? Yeah, yeah. I do know that name. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, Geneva. Um, uh, so many people. I mean, the members there are like John Turturro and John Voight. And I mean, yeah. there's like ridiculous, the, the member list is, yeah. but they're never around anymore. When you go there, you just see, <clears throat> the, they have all the pictures on the walls. And yeah. so it's mm-hmm. always so impressive to see, oh, you know, Christine Baranski. Yes. And all of these people yeah. who throughout the years, particularly during the time when you were there, yes. who went through EST. And yeah. it, it, it really takes your breath away just seeing, you know, yeah. oh, every face you recognize. Yeah. The One I Play Festival is... It's great. like yeah you like when I when I went and saw my first EST one I play festival I was like I gotta be a part of this like I just gotta be a part of it and you came back I think I saw you in one years ago yeah I've been in a couple yeah yeah you played a giraffe 
Oh yeah, that was funny. Re- reunions. <laughs> yeah. Got a high school reunion. I wasn't the draft. I was a pirate. You were a pirate. Yeah, 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 yeah. But that that's a great. That was a Billy Aronson play. That was like that was fun. a great play. Yeah. So Murphy Brown. Mm-hmm. You were about to tell your your audition. My audition story. story. Yeah. So, yes. Yeah, I'm making this longer. No, no, no. Um, I'm just getting. I was just reminding you. So. We could talk about this theater was, all day. This was before cell phones. Yeah. And we had answering machines. And before that, we had answering services where you'd call in uh-huh. for your messages and they'd be like, you have an audition tomorrow at, you know. <laughs> like bells are ringing. Ronnie, that, it, that's <laughs> what I was with was bells are ringing. You know bells are ringing? Well, so bells are ringing yeah. is named after a musical. Yes. Yeah, so that's yeah. why I know bells are ringing. Oh, But, okay. but, but yeah. I know that there was a bells are ringing. You're right. That was my... I wasn't and that referencing was my, that. Yes. But that, you, that reminded me. I did hear that there, they named in service after the musical. They, they yeah. did. But, yeah, they did. But at this point, we had answering machines, and I blew the audition for that one I really wanted. Mm-hmm. And then I was doing a play reading over at, um, what is it, St. Vincent's over there on West 46th Street? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I was away. I was out all day rehearsing that, and then the reading was at night. And I get home that night, and there's like five panic messages on my machine saying, "You have to be on a plane tomorrow morning. You're going to Los Angeles. You're wow. going to test for this oh, thing." And the the audition was um, weird because I got called in for it. I read it. I was like, "Oh, I think I could do this." And I went in and I auditioned, and the casting director stopped my audition, and she went, "Yeah, you're, you know." You're not doing it right, basically. And she gave me a piece of direction that I thought was sending me in the wrong way. But she was, you know, and I tried to sort of be like, well, you know, it was a monologue where I'm supposed to freak out as Miles does. And she's like, well, you need to kind of freak out right away. And I said, well, I want to be able to build, you know, I want to have some place to go. She was like, I'm telling you what they want. And I'm like, okay. So I did it that way. And that was back when they would literally send the tape to Los Angeles and they would put little stars next to the name of the people they really wanted them to look at. And I didn't have a star next to my name. And it was getting really down to the wire. I think it was in the last week before they were going to shoot the pilot. And they still hadn't cast my part. And they had almost actually given it to one actor. Actually, mm-hmm. we were told by Barnett that they gave it to him and they took it away. Yeah. You're Because we thought that too. We had heard that it, it, uh, it was almost. And he went, no, I had to take it away. Yep. Da-na-na-na. Did he say why he did that? Diane woke up in the morning and said it's just not him. Yep, she knew it wasn't right. Because they didn't want to do it to begin with because it wasn't the part, but they had to do it. And she slept on mm-hmm. it and woke up and was like, I just can't. It's that magic of Diane English. She just knew. See? Mm-hmm. You guys she know knows. more than I do. No, but we didn't even know, though. No, we had to get that like, from Barnett. We were interviewing Barnett, and I literally said, so you almost. He said, no, 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 not almost. Now, maybe this was something they didn't want to put out there at the time because no. it was so fresh, right. but... Yeah. yeah, so that's new. Wow. Um, so the tape gets there, and you tell me if this you know, okay, goes along with Barnett's story. <laughs> so the tape gets there, and they fast forward to um, people with their stars next in their name, and it wasn't working for them. And I think Diane and Joel left the room, and then my audition came on after one of the ones that they had wanted to look at. And Barnett was sitting there and watched me, and he went out and got them, and he said, look at this guy. And they, they they did, and they were like, let's fly him out to test. Our understanding is that there was no sound because they were yeah. fast-forwarding. That they just no s- So originally, they caught you on a fast-forward. They were fast-forwarding and then saw you. And then went, wait, and went back. Oh. Yeah. So so that's very impressive to us. Right. Because you, something came off that screen that you were right for the part right. without even seeing you talk. Oh, I didn't even know mm-hmm. 
Something yeah. about you acting at hyperspeed <laughs> <laughs> spoke to them. <laughs> yeah. I always was fascinated with that story growing up because it was such an amazing story. But now even today, I'm fascinated with it because it would never happen. Well, why Why would it never happen today? Because there's no fast forward. Because it would be select digital clips. Right. I have, I've been a reader a lot for pilots. Mm-hmm. Right. And I remember being a reader and, and this was a Tony-nominated actor in the room. Mm-hmm. They left, and I watched the casting director put the audition in the trash. Yep. And not even send it to L.A. Because they don't have to send everything. They only have to yep. send the clips. Yep. They get to pick and choose and create that digital copy, which yeah. does not include the, the tape of everybody else as well. Because you weren't starred. Right. So nowadays, it, I think, yeah. you would have been in the, in the trash on a desktop. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Th- I think there's a lot... I don't know how you guys feel, but mm-hmm. like there used to be a sense that whether you went to Juilliard or Yale or were right off the street, that if you were in that room, you had as much of a chance to get it mm-hmm. as anybody else. Mm-hmm. There used to really be that sense in oh, yeah. the 80s. I don't know if that's true anymore. You know, I don't know if they're making lists yeah. and offering it to people while we're reading mm-hmm. and, you know, I don't know. I think, I don't know. I think that once you're in the room, I want to think that that is true. I think it's harder to get in the room. Yeah. Because, yeah, like, there's so many showcases now. Like, every school does a showcase. Mm -hmm. And it's harder, at least it was, I know, when I graduated from undergrad as opposed to grad school. But anyway, is that I find that it's hard to get them to look at the beginning agents and casting directors. Sorry, agents, I should say, and managers. Um, because they're only going to go to the top schools. They don't have as much time anymore. Mm-hmm. Yes. The they the the money they need more money because just the way that everything works right now, they're not going to make as so much money on people. I mean, I remember after nine eleven, there were a lot of character actors who got dropped mm-hmm. because their agents and managers felt that they that everything had slowed down now. The economy wasn't great, and the character actors were not going to work as much. Mm-hmm. So they dropped a lot of them. A lot of my friends lost their their representation, which is insane. Yeah, and so they were focusing more on the leading men and women type. So, like, right. I mean, I don't know, but this is the impression that I get is that when I talk to casting directors, they seem a lot more open, but they're not seeing everybody because those people maybe don't have representation. Right. There's also the the elephant in the room that is the new world of social media and self-submission that has yes. really changed the game. It's, yeah. So getting representation is a, a much different animal than Mm -hmm. it used to be and now i mean you can to get in the room you can either get yourself in with your own promotion and marketing and submission techniques you can try to get representation but also representation tends to be oversaturated these days and yeah we can also now with you know the in some cities it's it's much more in new york than it is in chicago or la but the uh the pay-to-play workshop Yes. Where you get yourself in front of the casting director sans representation. Yes. So they are the the marketing rule of seven of of getting yourself in front of something enough, like the the Bed Bath and Beyond coupon. So you're just constantly thinking about Bed Bath and Beyond, is now a rule of fifteen or more because there's yeah. just so much data and faces coming in front of us, and people are getting cast off of Twitter these days. Right. Yeah, and also I found because uh, I I really came up when paper play became really the thing. And mm-hmm. I worked for a school that did it, so I really sort of learned that as much as the idea of it sucks, it, mm-hmm. it was really helpful. Mm-hmm. And I would meet tons of people who were very positive and then nothing, mm-hmm. maybe you know a couple auditions. But then when I got representation, 
they all started calling me in. Mm-hmm. So they did actually like me. They just didn't remember because there were so many people as opposed to now I'm in their face every day. Oh, that's right. I do like Lauren. Yep. So that also I felt showed me as well is that they just need to be reminded. And if you have representation, it's just going to happen more. But it seems harder to get that now. And also a lot of managers are working like agents, but still they take 15%. Yep. Mm-hmm. That's, that, I feel like that is a new thing in the last like 10 years. Right. It really is. Right. Uh, what you guys are speaking to, which is just the pure volume. Yes. You know, and how fast everything goes now. And like I hear if you have a reel, it's got to be, you know what I mean? Like nobody has attention spans anymore. No, now they want you to clip everything. Exactly. Yep, you can't do a full scene. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. And I, I don't know. I don't know. It just, it to me it feels like it's, making it harder mm-hmm. yeah it, i mean it feels that to us definitely well, e- we're even, a different level than you are even our new episodes which are 21 minutes long and mm-hmm. they used to be 24 oh, that's we talk about we, that all the time. a lot it's so what's lost uh, so for painful. time yeah yeah you can feel a difference yeah. you really can to yeah what they used to be yeah and there's nothing they can do about it no I mean, that, that's the thing is like there there's nothing anyone can do about it oh, the will and grace gets 22 which i don't understand yes really? yeah Okay. I noticed that on the Hulu count. Yep. We, we, I think it all has to do with, I don't know. I mean, it's a different network. So. Y- yeah, 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 yeah. And also, like, I don't know, like, how bad do they want you back? You know? Yeah. Then you can kind of, like, you know, name your... And also, yeah, what, what advertisement deals they have and where the ads are willing to give back mm-hmm. a little time, the deals right. that that network might have with their, their advertisers might give them those extra seconds. Right. Yeah, no, mm-hmm. uh, Gina said it was 21 minutes and 15 seconds that you guys get. Really? Hmm. Yeah. Mm. That extra 15 seconds. I don't know how they do it. I don't know how they do it either. Yeah, and, but they do it well. I mean, you know, but it's tough. We're like four or five minutes long every week. Yeah. And we have to cut it down. Yeah, that's been the most interesting thing about going to the filmings is seeing what is cut. Yeah, and mm-hmm. how you do it. And mm-hmm. uh, and a lot of the cuts reminding me, which I've spoken about on the podcast, of the syndication cuts. Yes. Mm-hmm where they just cut right to the dialogue. Lauren, I don't remember what order we're going to be dropping these, but we just talked about uh, Anchors Away in season two. And uh, just the the quick moment of cutting to Jim at his send-off wearing the bra over his trench coat and missing him opening it. And like, saying who it's from. We just cut straight to him wearing it and reacting yeah. to it. I mean, the syndication. syndication cuts are more brutal a lot of the times. Mm-hmm. These are very deft, obviously. But... Mm-hmm. It was just reminding me of that a little bit. Yeah. Because that's what we've been doing is that uh, we don't have the original cuts from season two on, obviously. Mm-hmm. So someone at Antenna TV taught us that, is that if you take two different syndication cuts and put them together, you can find all the cut scenes. Yep. You can oh, get the whole script. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes Corby will send us a script, too. So that's yeah. helpful. But also the script, not so much because it can be, you know, shooting script. Right. Mm-hmm. And not necessarily. Right. Yeah. So I'd love to also hear the story of when you you flew out because yeah. I, I understand that that was also interesting. Yeah, that was um, so I flew out and they they put me at this like Howard Johnson's or something like that in the <laughs> oh, valley, <wow. laughs> and I went over to it was, it was near Warner Brothers and I went over to Warner Brothers and met Diane and Joel and Barnett and read for them mm-hmm. in their office and that was like that was just like one of the best experiences of my life because they were just, I don't know, there was a kismet sort of going on, like a meant to be thing that you feel it in the moment. And I don't know, it just, I don't know, everything just sort of, when something's meant to be, I find everything Mm -hmm. just sort of falls into place and it's rather, um, and then 
they were like, okay, you're going to read at CBS tomorrow. And I go over to CBS the next day and Diane meets me outside of this room that I'm going to be reading in. And she's like, look, they don't mean to, but they're going to be sitting there with their eyes crossed. Uh, with their eyes crossed, their their arms crossed, <laughs> uh-huh. and it's a windowless room, and there's no air in there, and it's kind of dark. And um, we're gonna be sitting in the front row. Do it for us. Do it for us, just like you did yesterday. That's oh, a gift. Please, Diane. Just do it. Do it for us. And I go in, and but the energy was so thick in the room mm-hmm. that I, I, it wasn't the same. It oh. just, it just wasn't the same. And they told me to go wait outside and I went outside and I turned around as they were closing the door and I could see Diane looking at me like to make sure I was out of the room and then I saw her turn back to them as the door was closing (laughs) (laughs) and um apparently Kim LeMaster said keep looking and she said no she said nope this this is my guy so you don't have that anymore either Mm -hmm. because people just people are so intent on getting on the air you know, mm-hmm. they're just like, oh, okay, I'll, okay, I'll do that, I'll yeah. do that, I'll do that. You know, you don't, you don't have Diane Englishes anymore who are like, no. no, this is my, this is my plane. I'm gonna fly it. If we're gonna go down, I'm gonna be flying it. Well, yeah. and Diane is, I mean, notorious for this, this story, the story about casting Candace and walking back in and deme- like the, the empowerment of her as as a showrunner, as a writer, as an icon for a, especially young women growing up watching how she really took the reins of her project and knew what was best for it and was right. Yeah. That's the thing is like, she's got this quality where she can be firm, but not off putting. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. she's, she's not coming from this place of insecurity, Mm -hmm. my way or the highway. She's just like, no, we're going to do it this way. And here's why, you know what I mean? (laughs) She's very, she used to be an English teacher apparently. Yeah, I heard mm-hmm. that. And she's got that, you know, no, add, you know, add the left column with the right <laughs> column mm-hmm. and do that. You know what I mean? So she's just, she has a presence that sort of people have to pay attention to and usually end up concurring with <laughs> or, don't, or don't want to go against. Yeah. But it's not because they're afraid of her. She's just so solid. Yeah. Uh, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like she's just so in her skin. Well, and the confidence, the just the confidence yes. of her conviction. That's it. Yeah. It's, that's it. Yeah, it it's inspires you to agree. So what was that wait for you? Like, when did you actually find out? Oh, you know, so they were in the room. That that was going on. And I was maybe waiting out there maybe five minutes, maybe not that long. But they, she came out and she was like, congratulations. Wow. And yeah, I mean, I went from literally I was in... You know, I literally found out on my answering machine the night before. Yeah. And then two days later, like, I have this job. And they said, okay, we're going to start shooting Monday. And I said, <laughs> I said, this was like a Wednesday. I said, I don't have any clothes. Yeah. And they were like, well, we don't want you to go back and fly back again. We don't want you to be tired. So yeah. we'll give you a little clothes allowance. And they moved me into another hotel. And yeah, it was, and I, I had no idea that it was... Well, I shouldn't say that because when we shot the pilot, I was the guy going, "Well, yeah, this is going to be a hit. We've got Candace Bergen. The script is great. You yeah, know, like this is going to be this is going to be a hit." And Joe Rigobuto was just like, "Be quiet, be quiet. This <laughs> never happens." You know, like yeah, he had a lot of pilots. Yeah, in the series that didn't go. 
the associates with Jim Brooks and yeah. you know they had everybody from Jason Robards to Martin Short mm-hmm. to Cloris Leachman to the, I mean they had everybody. I in I've that. heard about the show still yeah. and it was only on for one season. Yeah. Yeah. And you just had the beautiful bliss of not knowing any better. Yeah, it's really a Cinderella story. <laughs> yeah. If you think about it. Kind of kind of <laughs> is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, don't you don't you find like in order to just even attempt to do what we do, mm-hmm. you have to have this sort of like no matter how it works out, this is what I'm going to yep. do. Yeah, yeah. Yep. And in a way, that's sort of what I like about it. I, I like the fact that your life can change in a moment. Yes, mm-hmm. absolutely. Nothing, nothing is set. You know, tomorrow is literally a new day in yeah. this business, mm-hmm. and it could change everything. Completely. I mean, this the show coming back, I'm, I was living in Pennsylvania. I had done a play in Trenton, in New Hope, another one in Trenton, and then we moved up to West Orange. I mean, I was just like... Sort yeah. of like doing theater around the tri-state area, mm-hmm. like, and this wasn't even, you know, re- yeah. reboots and stuff like that wasn't even on the horizon. Mm-hmm. So, like you said, it could just change it. But that's why we have to keep faith. Yes. Yeah. You, you have to have a faith that, you know, we don't talk about, but it's got to be there. It's like, why do I think this is somehow going to work out? Mm-hmm. Otherwise, why would we keep showing up every day? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I hate to jump ahead to the revival before we Please. talk about the classic series, but something you said that obviously no one had any idea. But how long did you know that this was a possibility for the revival? When did they contact you? I'm so bad at timelines. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I want to say, like, maybe Diane first mentioned it a year ago. Okay. You know what I mean? But So it, you know that there was a possibility long before anyone did. Yeah. Maybe it was more like six months. Okay. And, mm-hmm. and she sent us an email and she said... You know, um, Warner Brothers wants me to write a script, but mm-hmm. I'm not going to put you guys in it yeah. until I hear from you that you would want to be in it. And yeah. you're like, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait. Another play in Trenton. <laughs> Go back on Murphy Brown. Uh, which, but I, I kid about Trenton. They were, it was amazing. Both, both plays. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, uh, yeah, so I'm going to say six months. And then there were a lot of emails going back and forth. Mm-hmm. I'm mm-hmm. I'm a lousy emailer, and but but you know a lot of like, have you heard anything? You know, mm-hmm. and you know you're powerless. You just yeah, sit, you, you just wait. sit and you just sit and wait to see. What was your experience in the first season? This is new for you. Um, you have a lot of veterans that you're working with. Mm-hmm. Miles definitely is a standout character in the yes. first season. What 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 was your experience? Um. It, like being shot out of a cannon, yeah. really. Like um, there, there was something very um, getting back to that sort of like um, things just happen happening. I don't want to say effortlessly because I was terrified, mm-hmm. but but things just kept happening well. Mm-hmm. Things just kept going well, you know, like the writing and the you know and and um, I think that that part was meant for me. Yeah, I yeah. mean the story you just told. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think, so, so there's, there's, there's that. I, I just read this little article where the guy was saying, Nur- you know, nurture's important, but nature is really kind of everything. Like it's we everything. all come in with this, you know, whatever. We're like, where did you get your desire to act? Where yeah. did you mm-hmm. get your desire to act? You know what I mean? That's like that's not nurture. That's just something that was in us. Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. And there was something about Miles that was just meant for me. Yes. That no matter what, there were so many 
instances where that should not have happened. <laughs> I mean, I was such a last-minute entry, and the fact that they did not cast it before then, mm-hmm. and the fact that they went out the last week before the pilot and went, mm-hmm. well, let's roll the dice, you know, like not even knowing I was alive. And mm-hmm. so so that kind of, when we started shooting, there was something about that, that meant-to-be-ness mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. kind of just I felt like was sort of propelling the whole thing for me well and i would also say because miles is not a he's not a secretary like he's he's not a a character that could be anybody and was flexible like he's a pivotal linchpin of this of murphy's experience coming back to work of what she butts up against like the the fact that they were willing to roll the dice and look for that person who was meant to play this role it, it was no small feat Miles is incredibly important. His we re, we talked about yeah. at the end of the first season that his arc with with Murphy and Corky's arc with Murphy that first season really are the center of of the heart of that that initial season. And so to roll the dice on a character that was is that influential even in that first script is there's a reason for that. It's because they were looking for Miles. I think so. And and I I cer- certainly did. I had done a pilot. Mm-hmm. But uh, he, in New York, mm-hmm. um, but and they just completely recast everybody that had yeah. been hired in New York. They moved it to L.A. and they just completely. So I was fired. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I had so little television experience and four camera experience. Mm-hmm. I mean, but there was something that it wasn't. I don't know how to say this. Like the acting part of it wasn't hard. The cameras weren't hard. Mm-hmm. I think it was more the just kind of keeping myself together. Like I remember, I remember just we had these dressing rooms. They were these boxes. They were these like sweat boxes, and they had shag carpeting, and they oh, were God. made out of plywood. They were like gross. And but I would run out there and I would pray, mm. like please just get me through this. Please just get me through this. Please just get me through this. You know, because I was terrified. Yeah. Because I part of me knew that this was such a huge opportunity. Mm-hmm. But that that other part of me was like, just like when I got torched on, I'm like, what am I doing here? <laughs> like, I became an actor four months ago. Yeah. Like, yeah. what am I doing here? We talked about this uh, with with Steve. There's this an imposter syndrome oh, yeah. when you're an yeah. actor sometimes that, mm-hmm. you know, particularly at the beginning that you're like, I, I shouldn't be here. Yeah. You know? But you want to be here. Oh, yeah. You made the choice to be here. Mm-hmm. So what else are you going to do? But particularly when you're younger, that happens a lot. Yeah. And I wouldn't say just actors either. I think we especially within the arts um, where a lot of times it is mistaken as the Meryl Streep's or, or the Diane English as you see these people and you know them when they're at the top of the game mm. that it, it really builds up this idea of like what these aren't ordinary people. These aren't the people that you and I talk to. So if I'm here, something went wrong. Yeah. And that happens to the writers in that room. That happens to the designers. It happens to the actors. I think that there is something to uh, the, kind of misrepresentation of the arts sometimes. It's like they're all everyone here is a normal person who had their break at some time. That's right. Yeah, no, we sort of cut to the good part of the story. And it's very rare in interviews with people that they talk about sort of the mm-hmm. the beginnings. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I had a small uh, part, uh, one scene in Wall Street, the original Wall Street. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I was beyond, because all I wanted to do was film and television. Because, mm-hmm. like I said, I was in a big hurry, mm-hmm. and I got there to the set, and and I was like beyond nervous, beyond nervous. And uh, a, a PA was walking me to the you know trailer, and 
she said, how you doing? I was like, I'm really nervous. And she goes, you know, it's funny. I was talking to Charlie Sheen. His first job was um, uh, Jeremiah Johnson or something yeah, like that. Yeah, I don't even know that. And, and they were in a, a camping scene. And he, you're eating baked beans. He's eating baked beans by the campfire, and his hand was shaking so bad that oh, he couldn't man. get the beans in his mouth. Oh. You know, and I kind of needed to hear that. It's yeah, like you do because yeah. you think, like you said, you think Charlie Sheen rolls out of bed and he's Charlie Sheen. Yep, and that he didn't, you know, because he's Martin Sheen's son, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. That he didn't have to go through any trials by fire, but. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think Harvey Keitel auditioned for the actor studio maybe like eight times, five yes. times. Took him a while to get in because I, I went. That was my master's program was the actor studio, and so they particularly talk about those kind of stories. And he, that was the one that I remembered because you think, oh, well, he's Harvey Keitel, mm-hmm. but got in. Mm-hmm. But because God, was it? Maybe it wasn't eight, but it was a lot. Yeah, I know. I waited tables with a guy. Um, I won't say his name, but he went. He was in the NYU program, mm-hmm. and apparently, all of his classmates were like, he really needs to give it up. Aww. Like he was the guy nobody thought was going to make it. Mm-hmm. And and you know he's a writer now, mm-hmm. but he you know he had a nice acting career before he became mm-hmm. a writer. Uh, I think at Yale they took Sigourney Weaver aside and went, "Yep, so this is really not for you." Oh, I love those stories. Interesting. They told Diane Weiss that she squinted too much and she'd never have a film career. I collect these stories. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, I love these stories. They're amazing. Allison Janney was told she was too tall. Uh-huh. Uh She all she could play were aliens and lesbians. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if it was the same interview, but when. She was told that she was too tall because she got that a lot. She said, what about Sigourney Weaver? And they said, well, she's pretty. Mm. Like just, and I mean, that's the problem with this business too, is that, you know, you're, you are a commodity Mm -hmm. and part of your commodity is the fact that of how you look. Yep. Mm -hmm. Which you have to not take personally, but is personal at the same time. So, you know. Well, it's why the term character actor is a euphemism. Yeah. I mean, I, I was told once in a manager interview, well, who on TV looks like you? You're like, good so point. Isn't that the point? Right. <laughs> right. Isn't that good for me? That's yeah. what I said to her. Yeah. Well, it's so scary that that doesn't even occur to them. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's, yeah. You know, a lot of people just get in their positions because they hustle. Yep. Yeah. It's it's not like they, you, you know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. not like they're, they have an artistic sensibility or whatever. They just yeah. hustle. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a business. It's show business. Yeah. So, Grant, I also want to ask you about those first days on set. Um, because one of my favorite things to watch in that first season was to watch you find Miles and that moment when I, because I, while I grew up watching the original series, a lot of my memories are of the later seasons and who everyone kind of settled into in character. Did Was there a moment on set where you you felt like you it started to really sing for you? Was there anything that was a struggle for you when you were finding him? I don't think so. Mm-hmm. Um, I just remember the opening scene in the pilot when I come out of the elevator and, you know, um, she has that line about Adam West. And, mm-hmm. her, you know, I'm, I'm introducing myself to her, you know, mm-hmm. Miles Silverberg, Miles Silverberg. And then we go into the, you know, office and then Faith comes in. And um, and then and then I, we go outside and... Um, she slams the door in my face mm-hmm. and I turn around and I look at one of the extras and I go, <laughs> like, yeah. like, and that wasn't in the script. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So I, that was like coming to me kind of right away. Just the, just this. The nature thing. Yeah. 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 And just, and just, you know, like who this guy is. I never, I never had 
an issue not knowing who this guy was. Mm -hmm. Never. He was so specifically drawn. And, you know, I think you have to like somebody to play them. Yes. Yeah. You know, Some and I, quality. I liked him. Mm -hmm. You know, like I should say, like him. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, I love him. Mm -hmm. You know, so like that just that makes it so much easier to play. Well, and villains don't think they're a villain. You yeah. know, people, no, you're all you have to be on the side of your character, even if as an audience member, you might not be. And of course, we're yeah. we're all on Miles' side. But yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you've uh, listened to any of our revival recaps. We've only had two. But one of my favorite <laughs> things to watch of the revival so far is getting to see how Miles grew up because you're not playing Miles at 24. You're playing Miles now. And I love seeing how his neuroses have settled in him. Mm. I love seeing how, like, I loved seeing the, the tie on the head come back, but just the, yes, we were the idea that, that it's not a caricature. It's a real person who grew up and he's, he's not the, the same neuro neurotic little guy that he was when he started but that guy is in him yes yeah <laughs> and that's that's something i was um I, I, a little anxious about i was in my head about it i was mm -hmm. going okay it's 30 years later i'm not 27 i'm 57 mm -hmm. and the whole premise of this guy was he's young and he's in over his head mm -hmm. yeah and that's what where the neurosis was coming from. Mm -hmm. So what's this going to look like? Like, am I going to be like a 57-year-old guy? Like, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, being really neurotic. And is that going to play as well as a 27-year-old guy being, you know, is that as attractive? Or is that as funny? Or is it more pathetic? You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like, or will I be trying too hard? I was I, kind of... Uh, I, I was having some you know, almost like a, a negative projection about it. And then we mm -hmm. went out to L.A. to do these promos. Mm -hmm. And I had to be Miles in the promos. And it was like instantaneous. I was like, oh, I don't have to do a thing differently. Yeah. I really don't. All I have to do is be me now and say these lines yep. and still be the guy. And I knew it right away. I knew it in the promo. I'm like, oh, this just came right back. Yep. So all that, all that, all those months of, you know, how am I going to manage this kind of went out the window. I was like, oh, it's just all here again. Yeah. So I haven't had to think about like, how am I going to play him now or mm -hmm. anything? It's just what they've given me to do has just, I think, lent itself to. Yeah. It really well, I shows. I think that's true. Like, I really appreciate that when we see Miles, it's sort of in a very heightened state. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you get to see, oh, the Miles that we know. And so people aren't completely jarred by it. Right. And then. Uh, and then there's the moment in the car, I think in the set, not the car, the van in the second episode when yes. you think you're going to go to jail, which is, which is again, a heightened situation. Right, there right. he is. Uh, yeah. And so then, then he settles. And I think that was a great way to start. So the audience goes, oh, that's the Miles that we remember. Right. Uh, was him at his worst now. Yes. Yeah. That's not him normally. Right. Yeah. And right. so I thought that was a really smart way to go. And, and. And it's been really wonderful to see mature Miles that, you know, he the confidence that you would see him have, you know, on and off now, I think is a lot more even. Yeah. Well, specifically that what I love is seeing mature Miles, who's been there with Pat. Yeah. And, yes. And seeing like the new kid with the former new kid. Yeah. And it's just it's very sweet. It's such a natural duo that yeah. I, I'm not sure I would have guessed would have naturally thought that that was going to happen, but it's just so cool to see Miles, who has really been there with Pat. And Diane really saw that before. Mm. Like, D Diane had that in mind. 
she flat out said to me, I'm going to grow you two together. Oh. I, I see you two having a, you know, a mentor-mentee oh, that's great. sort of a relationship. She had that in mind. And Nick Dodani is such a um, confident performer. He's awesome. It's weird. Sometimes he, I feel like he sort of takes on, like... I don't know if you notice this, but like sometimes you cut over to our little, you know, station there mm-hmm. and he's sitting in the chair. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's sitting in the chair doing the thing. You know what I mean? And I'm standing there. You, you know what I mean? With the with the, the, the headset. You know, and and uh, he he acts like he belongs there. Mm-hmm. So, so sometimes I feel my I feel like almost like a little insecure around him. Like, mm-hmm. like he has, like he has more confidence, than that, <laughs> you know? Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Pat has more confidence than Miles did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Which has yeah. sort of been nice. Like I particularly like when you dress him up like, oh, you. <laughs> oh, <laughs> and then buddy. he loses it. Yeah. He loses all of that confidence. Yeah. yeah. Completely. Yeah. 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 It, it's a great generational commentary. The idea of, yeah, what's the, what's the young buck now like, mm-hmm. especially because, and, and I will, I will venture to say, I feel like there was a bit of that in that first season with Miles and Murphy that Miles had the the younger generation's knowledge and interests and this while he was a, sometimes a neurotic mess a a brazen confidence that like he was going to do the right thing even when yeah. nobody else believed in him <laughs> yeah yeah and and you figure people have to get there somehow yeah you know, there's a reason he's in that position. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, so you can just sort of, I think, accept that. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, because I, I, I feel like the in the first season, particularly when you see Miles at his worst first, mm-hmm. it's when he think he might get killed. Do you yeah. remember that episode, Nowhere to Run? And uh, they're doing a story on a mob guy, and the mob guy says he's going to try to kill Miles because uh-huh. he doesn't kill women, so therefore Murphy's off the table. Yep. Um, but Miles doesn't back down. He doesn't say, we're not going to do the story. He's freaking out, but he doesn't say no. Oh, wow. Yeah. You're, do you remember that? Yeah. that? yeah. Yeah, you were like I a trembling mess the entire that. episode, but... You're sleeping in the guns. studio, I think, at oh, some point. Oh, that's right. Oh, my <laughs> yeah. God, you're bringing it back for me. That's uh-huh. right. That's right. Do you have any particular favorites from um, the first season? Because we just went through the first season that you can remember. I, for some reason, it's almost like um, I have a harder time remembering, other than the pilot, I have yeah. a harder t- time breaking things down to seasons. Mm-hmm. I, I, I certainly remember the Brothers Silverberg, which was... That's the, one of our favorites. We just oh, covered yeah. that. We actually With had Barnett. Barnett on as our third chair. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That 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 will forever be like etched in my mind. There's also an, an episode that Russ Woody wrote where uh, I have an affair with the head of the network's Here's wife. Yes, Kinsella. Yeah. That's one of my favorites. Yeah, that's season two. Oh, yeah. it is season yeah, two? Yeah, that's season two. Yeah, I mean, they were just giving me such great stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I never had to worry about that. So we have talked about this before, that your relationship with Candace has become quite infamous mm-hmm. in a lot of the stories, um, particularly because apparently it got to the point where you guys couldn't look at each other without laughing. <laughs> Can you talk a little bit about uh, your professional relationship and your friendship with Candace? It's got, you know, when I first met Candace, it was at Diane's house, and mm-hmm. we got together at her house uh, to to read the script before we were going to read it in yeah. front of the network the next day. Mm-hmm. And um, um, I just remember her standing there, and she went, Grant. And, oh. and I, like, 
she already obviously knew who I was because yeah. I think she had been in the process. Mm-hmm. But but I didn't. I had never auditioned with her or anything like that. But I guess Diane had been keeping her abreast. Mm-hmm. But she is one of those people. Like when they put their attention on you, you're the only person in the world. In that mm-hmm. moment. You're just l- l- like everything else fades to the you, you know, and you're just like she's so captivating. Um, and I don't know, we just I, I, we just uh, would tickle each other all the time, <laughs> you know. Like there's a there's a symbiosis. There's a we just uh, I think we enjoy each other. Yeah, you can yeah. see. I think we enjoy each other, and and uh, she cracks me up, and I think I do her every once in a while, and it's it. I think it works well. You know, this this you can't allow for chemistry. Yeah, mm-hmm. you can't force chemistry. You can't make it happen. Mm-hmm. You can't for whatever reason. Well, all of you, the entire cast, you mm-hmm. guys have great chemistry. I think so. Yeah. yeah, and now obviously because there's so many years under the belt, it's even stronger. I think. Yeah. yeah. There are so yeah. many moments when we recap something where we're trying to figure out if we're seeing Miles and Murphy cracking each other up or Candace and Grant. Like, there are so many times we're like, I think that came out of Candace and Grant. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Yes. Well, do you remember um, there's a very famous outtake mm-hmm. from an episode where it's called Subpoena Envy and Murphy uh, goes to jail for not revealing a source. Uh-huh. Do you remember this? Uh, so remind our audience, um, it is the uh, scene where uh, Murphy's been there for a while and Miles comes to visit her and she's a little out of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and my understanding is that it took maybe like 12 minutes for you guys to yeah, do it. Yeah, that sounds right. <laughs> yeah. yeah we, 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 could not, we could not keep it together. And, and that was particularly bad. I don't know why they would have expected us to keep it together because... <laughs> It's just one of those situations that's so absurd. You can't not laugh. Yeah. And and I had to follow this. I mean, you've seen it, right? Mm-hmm. So she'd been knitting. Yeah. But, like, mm-hmm. the place just totally broke her. She went in all, you yeah. know, full of piss and vinegar, and then the place just broke She'd her. go, Grandma or something? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and she's, yeah, and she's, you know, yeah. she's singing The Sun Will Come Out Tomorrow while she while she's, <laughs> like, knitting this thing that goes all the way across the room. And I'm following it across the room, and I get right up to her, and she's in this bathrobe, and she's got these, like, thick, kind of coke bottle glasses and and she's singing and she's knitting she doesn't even know i'm there and i go murphy and then she she stops knitting stops singing stops knitting looks up and goes grandpa and and (laughs) we must have lost it like 15 times And to the point where Diane came out and was like, all right, it's not funny anymore. That's what people said. They yeah. said that after a point, it was just like, okay, we can't yeah. anymore. Yeah, you're keeping the audience yeah. here but way I, I, past. like, Yeah, but but it's like somebody tells you not to think of an elephant. Yeah. yeah. Like, you just, it's, it, yeah, it just got worse and worse and worse. It's such a brilliant clip. Yeah, I don't think the full 12 minutes is on that that uh, no. reel of uh, outtakes, but it's it's pretty long. I, I, do, I do notice in the final cut Oh, really? On the thing that I do almost break because she goes grandpa and I think I like put my head down, which you can't tell Mm -hmm. I'm laughing, but Mm -hmm. it was to try to gather myself before Mm -hmm. I said the next line. So there was a momentary where I was going to go either way and I didn't. (laughs) I feel like from the filmings I've been to, I've only really saw that happen once, uh, not that long. Uh, Oh, I think it was the third episode. Was the... uh, 
I'm a five seven Jew with oh, yes. oh my goodness my favorite line I forget it anyway the colitis line yeah uh, yes uh, small calves and colitis Lightest. yeah <laughs> I've had a, a lifetime of not getting what I want I was actually glad we finally did break <laughs> because we hadn't we, we yeah we, it hadn't been a problem up to that point it had not but that laugh just went on so long and we're yes. sa- we're standing there like looking at each other and at a certain point I talked about it on the show because like, it was amazing that it it took forever for you to get even the punchline out yeah yeah yeah. Yeah. Oh, speaking of, and we're sort of jumping around, can you talk a little bit about the time that you got booed? <gasps> yes, please. You mean this year? Yes. Yes. What like That I, was crazy. Yeah. I, I know. You know what I you know when you think of what you should have said afterwards? <laughs> I, I wish I had said, Oh, we're in New York now. We're in New York now. We're getting booed. I'm getting booed, you know? Um yeah, I, I came out. I made an entrance too early, or I came out and well, said, "Well, it wasn't your fault because the elevator you, opened early." Exactly. Like, you're not gonna, and you can't hear. Yeah, you, I'm sure like, you, you can. can't hear. And Faith was in the middle of her line, and I said my line coming out of the elevator, and they were, and it interrupted Faith, and they were like, "Ooh, you know." Yeah, it was. It was. I I I think I had fun with it, but it was uh-huh, like, "What is going on?" <laughs> but but the warm up guy had to be like, "So guys." Don't boo. <laughs> Don't boo. The was happening. It was crazy. Well, you know, it's it's nice that they're that invested. <laughs> yes. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. 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 These crowds love these characters very much. And uh, we love our Corky. Don't you dare interrupt her. Yo, oh, I know. Yeah. I know. <laughs> Everybody got very protective of Corky. Oh, yes. So what do you feel like the relationships with the characters have changed now from when you were originally on the show? I don't know yet, you know. Yeah. I, I like on, on the one hand, they all feel exactly the same, mm-hmm. but I don't. You know, we've been so story oriented so far yeah. with this first thirteen mm-hmm. that we haven't had too many episodes where we're exploring the relationships. Mm-hmm. So I don't know how they're different. I think we're sort of um, living off of what we did before in yeah. that in that area. You know what I mean? It's like okay, well, we spent, you know. 10 years building those relationships, you know what I mean? And Mm -hmm, we're just going to, you know, we're just going to know they're there and then we're going to go tackle this stuff, you know? And, uh, but I think, I don't know, hopefully we get, hopefully we come back and hopefully we get a chance to do, you know, we get to see them. Cause as you know, like Faith and I were never married and, and so let's yeah let's uh-huh. talk about that because yeah I was like this was my this was my thing so one of the the majority of feedback when the revival was announced was just fans being so excited to see everybody come back and how badly we needed this this character to come back in this climate uh, those of us remembering Dan Quayle really needed Murphy Brown to come back for this political cycle but one of the the great controversies within the fandom was that marriage. And whether or not that was going to be acknowledged, I think Diane was actually very wise mm-hmm. in in just sort of leaving it alone. Yes, yeah, mm-hmm. so that's my question because I know that she yeah. said at the TCAs that they just weren't going to mention it. So is it that you've never been married, or just no one's going to talk about I it? I think we've never been married. That's interesting. Oh, because, interesting. I mean, she's been on record as saying I never would have done it. Mm-hmm. It's not my favorite uh, thing either. Uh, it's yeah. not my favorite yeah. thing either. Yeah, and I, I th- you know, I. You know, it's it's a direction they went. Yeah, I, mm-hmm. I'm not sure it. It feels kind of a jump the uh, it feels jump kind the shark. of a jump the shark moment. It, yeah, yeah, I think so. So I I think she was wise not to saddle us with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, and then and then that opens up all sorts of possibilities. You know, Faith can have a 
romantic life without being worried about yeah. Miles, Miles is mm-hmm. there and, and vice versa. And also, yeah. I mean, they were friends longer than they were ever married. Exactly. Oh, yeah. So it, I think that you can, the audience can play it as, because it's not like you're not saying anything. You're just not talking about mm-hmm. it. So if as an actor playing it, that it never happened. Because a lot of people online said that it was, it was hard for them as people who are very into canon. Mm-hmm. As am I. Yes. And again, not a fan of it. But I still think you can still watch the show and it's still believable if you want to believe that they were married or you don't want to believe that they were married. Right. Right. We sort of haven't tipped a hand yet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, if um, John Goodman can come back from the dead. Yes. Right? You know. Exactly. If John Goodman can die and then they just pick up like that never happened. Yep. We can be married and just pick up like it never Will happened. Will and Grace you know? does not acknowledge the finale. <clears throat> exactly. They do not. They just start over, which we talked about this when this revival was announced. We talked about some of the revivals that are out and how we are both still struggling with the Will and Grace uh, retcon in its own way, because it's hard for me to watch that. I have to be honest. Uh, As much as I love seeing them back, that that finale was really significant. And there's a lot of character development that I wonder, is it out the window? Something with with Corky and Miles is we... In that very first pilot episode, we talk about everyone uh, in your apartment and talking to you. And there is an element to Two-Face's performance that could be that you guys have just been friends for a long time. It can also be that she knows you very well on multiple levels and knows how to deal with you. But it's true to, to Lauren's point. You, the characters were friends and colleagues much longer than they were romantic interests. Right. And people do actually move on from short-lived marriages Mm -hmm. and are perfectly capable of working together and being friends and so on. So I think within headcanon, it's it's perfectly acceptable for us to go either way with it as fans. It's also funny, too, if you had said that they had just dated as opposed to being married. Mm -hmm. That has some sort of, you know, more weight for people, but Mm -hmm. they didn't even date before they were married. It... Right? You guys just sort of ran mm-hmm. off and got married. Like, so it has sort of a stamp on it, so it seems more legitimate. Not legitimate. That's terrible. But <laughs> if if you had said, oh, they had dated for, what, like a year and a half? Like, it wasn't that long. Mm-hmm. I mean, you were off the show by the time you guys got divorced, but it was not that long. Mm-hmm. I'm really I have, I'm really good friends with some people that I, like, dated in college for, like, a year and a half, and yeah. it just didn't work out. Right. You know, that happens a lot. I just think, I think it's believable. Because we have a segment on the show called Retcon Theater. Retcon Theater. We'll go through the classic series. We will jokingly go, well, okay, this doesn't make sense because. Right. But then we'll come up with a reason as to why yep. it would make sense. We'll, well fix it. was it. probably this <laughs> or, or this happened. And we go, okay, now now we've made it make sense. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll work our way through those wrinkles. Yeah. We'll massage those out. <laughs> so we're used to it. I uh, like that. Thank you. You can make it work for you. Yeah. 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 Which is what you do as an actor anyway. Yes. Exactly. Like yeah. it's tools that we were taught. So it's like you can't not watch the show. Some of the things I've already done, you know, as mm-hmm. I watched it because I have that actor brain. Yep. Um, so Jesse has as well. Mm-hmm. Things have to make sense to you. Don't yeah. you find? Absolutely. Like, uh, we just had a little moment in this episode we just shot where, you know, Jake says I'm getting a big, you know, promotion at the Wolf Network. Mm-hmm. And we sort of start talking to him about well you know you might be asked to do certain things that you might not want to do kind of a thing and I was trying to approach it kind of gingerly mm-hmm. and they didn't want me to but oh, I was interesting. Like, but I was like yeah but like in real life 
if a friend said, I got a series, you don't hit them with, yeah, but I hear the showrunner is a real bastard. Yeah. You know what I mean? You, yeah. you just don't do that, you know? Or if, if you bring it, you know what I mean? If, if you're bringing up something, you know, potentially negative or alarming, you try to couch it. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Because this is someone you've known since he was born. Exa- exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So that's all. I, that's all I mean is like you know things have to make sense. Absolutely. It's like if if you're basically like I wouldn't do that or I wouldn't do you know what yeah. I mean like. Well, because if you stop to think that, if you as the as the actor inhabiting this person stops to think that, the audience is going to stop to think that. Good point. So mm. for you to be able to to sell that, it has to be something that the brain is going to agree with. That's right. Because we're going to notice. Like, the, your audiences are very smart, and they pick up on everything. Like you said, if you walk in with resentment, it's going to be red. And if you, yes. if you as the performer are just trying to make something work, the audience sees that. Yes. Don't you find there are certain actors you watch, and you're like, you know what, technically... I get, I get it. They're such a good actor, mm-hmm. but I'm getting something from them yes. yep. that I'm that that I'm just mm-hmm. yep. is taking me out of it, or mm-hmm. makes me uncomfortable, yeah. or I don't want to spend time with this person, yep. or yeah. Thank you so much for listening to part one with Grant Shaw. You should join us again for part two. And you, in the meantime, please let us know what you thought about part one. Uh, you can follow us on social media at Twitter, Instagram, and facebook that's the third one at murphy brown pod and our website is murphybrownpod.com if you'd like to help out the podcast we have two ways that you can do that you can donate on our patreon which has different levels you can find that link on our faq on our website each level has different cool things that come with it stickers special content there will definitely be outtakes from this episode on the patreon and then every month at the level that you're at, you will be contributing to us being able to literally put on the podcast for you. Yes, we are currently wearing headphones thanks to our Patreon yes. supporters. Thank you, guys. Or if you're like, you know what? I just want to give you one lump sum. You can actually uh, go on our website and you can donate through PayPal. There's a d- under the donate button. You can send mm-hmm. money to our email at murphybrownpod at gmail.com. Or you can send your thoughts to murphybrownpod at gmail.com. Or if you just want to support the podcast in a free way, we still encourage that as well. You can go on iTunes and leave us a review to help promote the podcast and put it out there for more people. And we really look forward to sharing the second part of this interview with you soon. We'll see you then. Bye. (laughs) 